Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manor Park Podcast. This podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases, as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy. But it's much needed to be heard in this day and age. Because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was. Until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories. While I know they're deep and disturbing, we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through. So that we can try to identify the problem. And then we can figure out how to solve the problem. My podcast is not for the light of heart. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. It's not for anybody with a weak stomach. These stories will change you mentally. They will make you question your faith. They will make you wonder, why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors? And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well. And to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this. Because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed. And from there, it grew. And I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode. Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further this is your last trigger warning if anything that i mentioned above offends you please do not listen thank you warning the cases that i talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 70, titled, It's a Bad Day, Not a Bad Life.
my interview with Amber, part one. So, unlike a lot of my interviewees that I've met and everything, I usually meet them on TikTok. Amber, though, I've met quite accidentally on Facebook. I don't know if we were already friends on Facebook or not, or if somebody, one of her friends shared a post, and you know how that goes. You, you see somebody sharing a, you know, a unique post or something like that. You go click on the person that it originally from, and you, know, you go check out their content and whatnot, and this, that, and the other, and my Adam as a friend as well. Uh, I don't remember exactly how that happened. What I do remember is, is that there was a post she made, and it was about, I want to say a Christian friend of hers kind of attacking her online, and I thought that was kind of foul, fucked up, and so I you know, give her some support here and there, and then she goes and checks out my my page, I guess, and you know says, hey, you you have a podcast? I say, yeah, and I you know tell her what I do and everything like that, and she goes, well, I got a story as well, and that's how we ended up here today, right? So. I will say that the conversation does take a few left turns, y'all. It does go on some different tangents. It's not strictly just a trauma story. It's more or less a fireside chat, a conversation. For anybody that's new listening to the podcast, why I do my interviews is just a conversation I have with people. If you can imagine yourself being at a coffee shop somewhere and just talking to somebody, and conversations go how they go, that's how my interviews are. Because it's, it can always go in the, in the many different paths, or it can just go on the straight, direct path. The, the whole reason of why they're being there, right? So, with Amber having ADHD and autism, and me having ADHD, we kind of go a little left-sided uh, a couple of times. But it stays within the realm of protecting children and society in general and whatnot. So, I think it was a very good conversation. It was a very good interview, and it was more not so heavy like it was heavy in the beginning it was heavy talking about some of her stuff when she was a child and everything like that but it became just a more of a good back and forth with somebody and i do like those type of interviews i like those types of conversations because you get to learn about different things and people and how they are how they interact right and what they believe in and it's always good to hear a different perspective in life as well it's how we learn it's how we grow y'all and so I just encourage people to break out of your comfort zones from time to time and just talk to people that you normally wouldn't talk to. That's what I've been doing this whole year. It's talking to people that I probably would never have talked to normally or people that talking to me that they probably would never normally talk to either, right? It goes both ways. But it's always good to just sit down, listen to somebody, and just listen to understand, not listen to reply, you know? There's a difference in that. So I encourage anybody to go out today and just try to make a new friend. Try to understand somebody's story. Just be there for somebody. I don't know. Just love people. You know, when you when you do that, it just opens the door for so many different possibilities in life for you. I promise you on that. Well, y'all didn't come here for my pearls of wisdom and life advice. You came here to listen to Amber's story. So without further ado, let's hear it from Amber, y'all. Hey, everybody. This is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. I have with me today on the show uh, Amber Domain. Hi, and she, hey, she is going to be 
tell us her story. So, Amber, why don't you just go ahead and get into it and start from the beginning? So, from the beginning, um, I was raised by a narcissist. Um, My mother does not have a diagnosis, but it's just blatantly clear. She never really, um, I feel like she had kids to be an extension of herself, something to just show off. And then she kicked both me and my sister out when we were early. I was 11. My sister was 15. Um, and she kind of groomed us to find people to take care of us. So once, um, I think around 18 months was when she started putting me into pageants and like trying to uh, like basically turn me into an adult when I was already just a little baby. Um, and I remember that from the beginning and, um, I think that the thing that sticks out to me the most is, My aunt, Laura, who is not with us anymore because I come from a long string of addiction. Um, She did OD, and so did my aunt Nancy. But my aunt, Laura, lived with us since I was born. And I had an aunt tell me the other day that the reason, like, she wanted to move out because my mom was so bad to her. But the reason that she had to stay was to protect me. And she lived with us from zero to five. And that's when my mom and my dad got a divorce. And... I think that that stuck with me a lot because now that I just found out I do have autism, so I was a special needs kid, um, I did need protecting. And I really didn't have a lot of people who could. I mean, my Aunt Laura did the best she could. And my sister, her name is Ashley, she protected me more than anyone. But she was a child. She was eight when I was born. And she has been, she stepped into mother as soon as I was born at eight years old. And that's just not what children are supposed to be doing but we had to watch out for each other no one was going to watch out for us yeah um out of curiosity when you got kicked out at 11 where did you go so what had happened is my mom so my mom my dad works offshore right he makes a lot of money that's what my mom liked she likes status she likes having people think that she has a lot of money has a lot of friends and like if you look at her facebook you could you can see that's the kind of person she is. So as soon as her and my dad got a divorce, she kind of had men rotating in and out. And those were a lot of people that I dealt with like sexual assault from. But then she met this man named Adam and Adam is a very good man. He was, my dad and Adam are the only good men that I ever known in my life, you know, and we moved in with Adam and I did not realize that my mom was at that point in time. Like you want to believe that your parents are good. So I wanted her to love me. I wanted to believe she was good, but her and Adam were fighting. And then I called him a dick and she kicked me out for it, like took his side. And I lived with my aunt Tammy and my uncle Bert for about a month. And then my mom made me come home. And then she kicked me out again about two days later. And then I lived with my friend Tabitha, another friend, Lexi, another friend, Lexi, my friend, Mallory, Um, I lived at my dad's, but every time, like my dad works 28, 28 days a month, every time that I would move into my dad's, my mom would find out and then she'd come and get me or call the police and say I was living there as a minor. They would bring me to her house and then she would put me in the yard and say, that's not your dad's. Like she just, and she also called the police on my dad um, for playing ACDC's Highway to Hell when he came and picked me up and she told them that he kidnapped me because we were playing ACDC. Good God. So and like I remember not being able to see him for a while after that. So she just had like an axe to grind with your dad and everything. Like, like it was just a very bitter, bad divorce. Yes. And, and then another thing I want to bring up is when I, on my 17th birthday, I had someone message me and I won't out his name because 
he's he's a survivor as well but he was like 14 when I was conceived and he messaged me and said that he could have been my dad and that kind of hurt me because my dad's the only person I ever had now we did ancestry I know that my dad is my real dad but that 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 he was a child he was a child he was one of our neighbors and my mom is a she's a predator and she would let predators around me and and not do anything about it and then I I don't know she's a she, I've, I blame her for the majority of my trauma. She's not responsible for what other men did to me, but she's responsible for sexualizing me in a way that made men feel like it was appropriate to utilize me as a sex toy at, at a very young age. Yeah, I mean, she was supposed to protect you, you know, and the question, like, because I remember we were talking about it the other day, and, and the question in the back of my mind that just gnaws the back of my mind is just why, you know, like, why would a mother allow that to happen? Why would a mother put their child in those situations? Had Did you ever, were you able to maybe find an answer to that? I know there's no good I answer. Do, but. I do know that. So I, I struggled with bullying my whole life, and now I know it's because I, I'm beautiful. I, I will say that, like, I, you, I'm not cocky like I, I don't even think like I've been beaten down so much but I know by societal standards I'm beautiful I've always been beautiful I've always been smart but I've never fit in with like the popular crowd like I was bullied by the cheerleaders even though I was a cheerleader I was bullied by everyone and my mom sent me to a cool a school called South Beauregard we weren't even in that district um but she was racist so she didn't want me to go to a school called De Quincey because they had a lot of black people so she sent me to South Beauregard which had like six black people k through 12 and of course i made friends with all of the black people because i'm not my mother but there was a there was a teacher there she was a librarian and my mom and her had some kind of rivalry growing up so as soon as i got there her daughter was in the same grade as me and i was bullied so badly by this girl and i never understood why um and her mom was the cheer sponsor and i was i was bullied very badly i was beaten into having non what what's called non-epileptic seizures of the limbic system due to autistic meltdown. Um, so I would just hold my breath while like I'd be bullied or beaten and I would hold my breath until I would seize. Um, and yeah. then I'd be homebound for months at a time or weeks at a time sent back to my abuser while nothing happened to those girls. Cause that one girl whose mom was the librarian, her dad was also a superintendent. So like nothing happened to them. But I realized what my mom did. She sent me to that school to try to get me to finish what she started or try to make me like that's the whole reason for the cheering and the pageants and everything. Like she wanted me to do what she couldn't do. Like I am more beautiful than my mother ever was. And she was trying to make she was trying to live vicariously through me. And then when when we didn't talk for like years, I made McNeese cheer like the college cheer team. I was on homecoming court. I was Miss Sulphur. Then she started posting about me, like, look at my daughter. I'm so proud. Like, but you hadn't talked to me in a couple of years. So like, what, why are you posting that? It, yeah. It's just all about status. And um, narcissists always want their image to look very good. And they have a problem um, if it's not. And like, my mom wasn't even taking care of me, but at the same time, trying to take heed of my accomplishments, like putting them on Facebook and trying to take them as their own. Yeah. Like ride, like riding your coattails. Yeah. And then people would be like, how's your mom? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't talked to her in years. And they'd be like, oh, wow. She looks like she's doing like a great mom on Facebook. And I'm like, yeah, I I know she does. That's what she does. Yeah. Social uh, social media ain't always what uh, what real life is about. Nope. And uh, so what what were some other examples of her being a narcissist towards you as far as besides leaving you open to predators and everything like that and and bullying you? I have um, I'm a go there.
we were going to my grandpa's. He lives in Dry Creek, and we were going down like a dirt road that was rocks. And we, she had a firebird and she was a volunteer firefighter. So she would always talk about car safety, but at the same time, there's only two seats in the back. So me and my little cousins who both of their parents died from addiction. So like my grandma took care of them. My grandma took care of me and we kind of took care of my grandma in the end years. We shouldn't have had to do that, but they had my little cousin there, a boy and a girl. So the boys on the left, the girls on the right. And then I would sit on the hump in the middle. That's not a real seat. And we would crisscross the seatbelts, which is not, that's not safety. That's not real. Um, but she had just gotten in a fight with whatever man she was with. She started driving like a hundred miles per hour and like fish scaling. And we started crying because we was, we were scared. And then she told us that she would slam us all into a tree and like unalive us all if we didn't stop crying. Um, and that was when we were five, six, and seven, I believe. And then when I was yeah. eight, she kicked my sister out, my only support. Like, that's a whole nother story. But, like, when I got home from school, she told me I'd never see her again. And I remember that day because I was like, she was the only one protecting me. And then when I was about 10, she started restricting food. Like, she tried to make me eat lettuce and vinegar only because um, I was looking pudgy. But when you're 10, that's that's baby. That's like, they call it baby fat. Like, it's normal to yeah. hold a little bit of fat. And then one time she dropped me off and what she said was an orphanage for like an hour because I didn't want to eat lettuce. And then when I was at my lowest point, which was not just because of her, but because of the bullying, but mainly her because she didn't do what she had to do. I had gotten sent to a psychiatrist for the seizures or whatever. And in the psychiatrist, um, your parent has to bring you, right? So I wouldn't even be living with my mom, but she would come find me, bring me to the psychiatrist to make sure I would get my Adderall and... She would sit, I, I remember, call you and the and the parent in, and then they sit with you and the parent, and, like, on the way there, my mom would be like, you better not fucking say anything, you better not fucking say anything, and then we would sit in there, yeah. and I would just be like, everything's good, okay, and then she'd send them out, and I remember crying to that psychiatrist a couple times, and, like, I don't know, the teachers, I mean, the police, the, all these mandated reporters could have really done something, but they didn't, but I remember my mom just scaring the shit out of me before every psychiatry appointment and then when I started to become like emo which I just liked black clothes and emo music like I've always been a Pierce the Veil Sleeping with Sirens Asking Alexandria like these like metal bands I like that she like found my CDs broke all of them and told me I was a whore for wearing nail polish then she finally kicked me out I was homeless all through high school but another thing that's big is when I was in eighth grade so right before these tear pictures that we would always take she gave me two of my Adderall, which was like 25 or whatever the highest extended release was. And then she gave me a special yeah. vitamin. And I remember I went, I got to school and I was having a heart attack. Like my heart rate was like over 200. I couldn't breathe. I got sent to the office and I was like, I can't breathe. I, I'm dying. I'm dying. And then they called my mom. My mom comes to get me and she's like, no, she's just crazy. And she put me in the car and she's like, baby, it's going to be fine. I'd given you a hydroxy cut so you can be skinny for your cheer pictures. I was in eighth grade, eighth grade. Jesus. And then she told me my dad, who you know works offshore, she told me that he never came home because he has another family that he loves more than me. And then that's when I didn't hear from her for a few years. And then when I made homecoming court and the college cheer team and won the town's pageant, that's when she wanted to be involved again. Um, so, like, I am not a professional, but I can just – i that is a narcissist. Like, she yeah. only wants to be around if something good is happening that can benefit her image and – even if it doesn't like she's she just destroys everything in her past like 
she doesn't think about the repercussions that that treating me and my sister the way she did has like our mental health is insane because of the PTSD. And then I've had, they don't think PTSD is real. And that hurts because yes, it is like I deal with it every single day. And I mean, one of my aunts who is married to my potter and he's a dentist, she, when I got my diagnosis of PTSD, which is very valid, she was like, well, if you keep that victim mentality, PTSD will be real. But if you think, if you don't think you're a victim, then PTSD isn't real. And that's just not scientific. That's not the way it works. That is not the way it works. And I'm so tired of people diminishing PTSD, especially childhood PTSD. It's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And it means that you had complex trauma over a long period of time. And mine started at birth and it's still continuing today and people still want to diminish that PTSD is real. That's not right. Yeah, it's uh, I've heard the comparison of uh, CPTSD with uh, PTSD of uh, like war veterans and everything like that. It's worse. It's, the same. it's worse yeah. when you're when you're a child because I mean, people go to war, and I do not want to diminish that because honestly, right. that has to be insane. But they go for say max is seven years there in Afghanistan, and then now think about being born into a life of addiction and trauma and abuse and having nowhere to go because you're just a child and you're stuck in that cycle of abuse and trauma and watching people die. I was watching people die all the time from addiction and I was just a child and then getting beat at school to the point of having seizures and then being called crazy and being sent home and homebound and nothing happening to the people who were doing it to me. Like, that happened for 18 years. And then after that, I got into abusive situations. Like I, I, I realize now that I tend to gravitate towards narcissists, um, not knowing they're narcissists, but as a way, like I gravitate, I gravitate towards unpleasable people because it reminds me of my mother. And I feel like in like subconsciously, it was a way to try to please my mom. And now I know that that's what I was doing. And I I can be aware of that and not do it anymore. But at the same time, I'm 27 years old and I just realized that every single relationship I've been in has been abusive and I just allowed it. I I just allowed it because that's what I'm used to. That's what I have been programmed to deal with. It's uh, like the phrase go, it's the uh, monster that you know. Yeah. You know, and that's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of victims or survivors uh, of trauma they tend to gravitate toward those situations. I know like for uh, people who are, who are, uh, you know, experienced like CSA when they're, when they're children and everything like that, mm-hmm. they're, I think it's like what, five to 10 times more likely to be raped as an adult as well. Yeah. And, and I want to bring up that, like, even if you're in a relationship with someone or married to someone, whatever, if, if you say no consent is consent, I know that the weird, there's, there's weird shit that they say about that in the Bible, but I need to bring that up. Like, just because you are in a relationship with someone does not mean that you owe them your body and time. If you do not want to do something, no is a complete sentence. And if it is not yeah. valued, that is passing the line of consent. Exactly. And that uh, is sexual assault, whether people want to like it or not. That's what it is. Yeah, like, uh, so, like, the conditioning, because me and you are from, like, the same area, right? Like, we're from Louisiana yeah. down here, and a lot of the mindset is, well, 
you know, because uh, people don't believe that, you know, a spouse can rape their uh, spouse and everything like that. that I've that's, heard that's numerous... just simply that's simply indoctrination from yeah. the Bible and being in the South as Bible Belt. They feel like women are objects and we are not. We are breaking the patterns of that. And people need to realize that women can take care of themselves. And we are not just a body for a man to, to take advantage of. But that's what Christians and people down here believe is that we serve men. And that's not what it is. And that's not what it's going to be for me ever again yeah I've, I've done a lot of deep dives on the bible you know i grew up I, so like you I, I grew up in christianity and everything like that and i did a lot of studying the bible and then when i when i broke away from the faith when i was younger and everything i did more studying into the bible as well realizing that you know the last iteration of the bible we that we have today that i that i see is the uh, king james version right mm-hmm. which was written in the which was written in the 1500s and basically if you study the Bible at all, you know, you'll see a lot of subservientism, like a servant authority. It's always about serving a master of some kind. And it's always about obeying that master and everything. And you can't help but think and wonder. Yeah. Because I mean, back in those times too, you had, you had peasants who were poor that couldn't read. Women were not allowed to learn to read or you're called a witch and burned at the stake. Yeah. That was also a big thing too, uh, especially when they uh, when the pilgrims came over here and they had the Salem witch trials and everything. Yep, uh, and, and a lot, a lot of Salem witch youngest, trials. The youngest f- person that died in that was three years old, three or four years old, was a witch that they burned at the stake. Three or four, I don't remember. Don't quote me on that, but let me let me look yeah. it up for you actually, because yeah. that is fucking sick. And then that all yeah. started, if you dig, dig into that, that all started because of the same thing with the Emmett Hill thing. Uh, a lady didn't like something. She said something and called someone a witch. All of a sudden, they started burning anyone associated with that lady. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and there was other things, too. I've talked to people about that as well. Uh, a lot, Some of those uh, cases as well were land grabs. Like they would, mm-hmm. they, they would say that there were men who were who were uh, either married to witches or or part of the devil, made deals with the devil and everything like that, and they would kill those people. And what would happen is, is that well, they had all this land, so they would t- yeah. so the people that you know, so but they divide they up the land for the other people. The people that they killed, it, it's what? Oh my god, that's the same reason that we got all this land in the first place. That yep. that is that's what America was built on. But the fir- okay, so four year old Dorothy Good was the youngest victim of the trials. And there's a museum, education director, research led to the museum. So I'd like to go to Salem and read more about that because I, I identify with that from just the family that I just had to deal with for the past five years. Because yeah. apparently I am, I am a demon and I invite demons into people's homes because I like crystals. And, but I'm from Louisiana and people need to realize Marie Laveau and all these people that were deep-seated in voodoo who were also Christians as well. You can believe in what your culture is a part of and still not be a bad person, right? You could be a witch. You could hex people. You could do whatever and still not be a bad person because at the same time, these Christians are saying everyone's going to hell. That's the same thing as hexing, baby. You're, you're saying that we're all going to be damned and burn in hell for eternity, but I can't put dirt in a jar and say your name. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's there's a lot that I've seen when I when I've stepped away from all the all the conditioning and indoctrination of Christianity because there is a lot of it. Right. And there are, but there are things I've learned as well that were positives. And if like, 
if I tell anybody to learn anything, like even if they don't believe in the Bible or anything like that, like Jesus, right? Jesus was a role model to kind of emulate as far as to be a decent person in life. Like there's a lot of life lessons. So like, you know, do unto others as you want others to do unto you. Yeah. Um, you know, be, you know, feed the poor, feed the poor, you know, feed the poor, protect children, um, you know, be but there for people. They're doing the love opposite people. these days. They're doing the opposite yeah. these days. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I'm not, it, it's a, you know, because, because like I go on TikTok a lot and I see it from both ends and both sides. There are decent people out there that want to help and change the world and just be a loving force for people. And there's people out there that want control. And they think they're doing and the, the problem is, is that when it comes to conditioning, because of how manipulative it can be, you know, people thinking that they're doing what God wants them to do. And that's not the case. That's Sometimes you have to love people. Jesus, yeah, Jesus was supposed to be ever loving, love thy neighbor, feed everyone, take care of everyone. But then everyone on, you know, we don't need to get into politics, but at the same time, we need to be taking care of each other. Okay. It doesn't matter what side you're on, what color you are, but if you believe in Jesus and God and you're over here talking down about people with addiction and mental health issues, then you are not a true believer and you are not doing what God wanted you to do. If you truly believe in God, you're supposed to be helping those people. Give them your hand, pick them up off the floor, help them find rehab, help them find food. Like we don't, some people aren't ready for rehab, right? You have to, they, they have to be wanting that themselves. I grew up around addicts. I, yeah. I see it every day and people will die before they get help. But at the same time, you can't force someone to get help. They have to want it themselves. Yeah. So if someone is, is, if someone is deep in addiction or deep in mental health issues and homeless, you don't try to force God on them. You don't try to force um, rehab or sobriety on them. You say, what can I get you? Can I get you some water? Can I help you find a place to sleep? Can I help you find some food? You that's when you take advantage of a person at a low, low level like that and try to force a, a religion or a job or they have to be ready for that shit. And if they don't want it, do not do it. Like you go and you ask someone sleeping on the street what they need in that moment in time, whether it's food, water, clothes, shelter, that's what they need in that moment. They don't need to be handed a Bible and say, read this and God will help you. No, we need to be helping yeah. them in, in any way we can without forcing our opinions down their throats. Yeah. And I, um, there's just so much that goes into all that as well, because it's like, I'm, so like when I grew up in the faith and everything, I, you know, I was kind of at one point in one, one vein of, of thinking, they want you to go out there and reach the lost, right? Go out there and talk to people and, and, and show them an example of, of love and light and everything like that. And another vein, they, they tell you, don't associate with, with those people as well. The same, don't, don't absorb all your comments. It's a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, like, I like, I never, I, I never hung around pagans or heathens or satanists or witches or or any of these other types of people when I was in the faith. And then as I've broken out, especially in this last year, I've been on this journey, meeting all these different types of people, like on TikTok and all those communities. I've got to find a lot of wonderful people that I've connected with in such a deep way, because I mean, for one thing. You know, my podcast is about protecting children and, and, and sharing survivor stories and everything like that of all different heinous traumas. So, I mean, under one banner, one common goal banner is, of course, protecting children. And I've met so many people from so many different communities because of that banner and because of that cause. 
and you get to learn about people. It's like, you know, peeling back an onion, right? You get to yeah. get to the center of them and everything. And you get to find out so many wonderful qualities about people by just sitting down and talking to them and not forcing your politics or your religion down their throats or anything like that. When you, when you actually break away and, and take away and, and don't do that and you just get to learn and know about people, you get to just, you, you find yourself in, in worlds that you've never would have imagined otherwise. And it, it's a wonderful feeling because it's like, I mean, hell, I, I got to meet so many different people from the like the Norse pagan community, for instance. Right? They are very strong. They're about very cool. Children. They're so cool. I have a friend in Sweden yeah. who's Norse and pagan, and I I like learning about Norse and Greek and Celtic mythology because, I mean, you can't you can't read one book and believe that when there's eight thousand or however many other religions. Like, learn about everything and take what you want. But I do think a main issue down here in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, all these places, is that people get stuck in these old small towns and they don't leave. And yeah. with my with my my last or my marriage that I was just in that I'm now getting out of, I mean, he found me here, small town Louisiana. We moved to Houston, then to Miami, then we moved to Montana, and then to Charleston. I got to meet different people from all over the world, and that's when I started getting very introspective. And I was like, you know, the way that they think in Southwest Louisiana can't be the real way. There's so many other ways to think. There's so many other good people out there who don't believe in a God. Like they don't have to believe in your God. There's many different gods. I mean, we have Allah, we have Yahweh, we have like Buddha, all these different gods. And, and everyone wants to think that theirs is the right one. And that's just not the way you have to have an open mind. And I found, I find that people who believe in their God and, and talk down about people who have differences of opinion or religion, it's just, it's just cognitive dissonance because if you can't open your mind and learn about other people in a, in a constructive way, then you're ignorant. That's what it is. It's ignorance and ignorance is bliss, yeah. but for other people, but not for me. Cause I want to learn about everything. Yeah. That's, that's where I've been on, on this path too. I wanted to learn from all these different perspectives, all these different traumas and uh, all these different communities and everything like that. And I've, I've, I mean, hell, because I, because I went down this path and everything like that, I learned about the troubled teen industry. You know, and, and my co my co host Sabrina, which she's not on today, y'all. Sorry about that, but uh, she uh she's a survivor of the trouble teen industry and other different traumas as well. And I, because of her and other people in that community, I got to learn so much about it that I I mean, for thirty five years of my life, I never knew it existed. Right? Like, I mean, we knew it, but we didn't know what it was about. Like, uh, the the whole Doctor Phil the ranch, you know, like the like those camps I mean, like that. They still have and a lot of camps like that up in the north, like around where I was, like Yellowstone, Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, all of those places, um, Arizona, Colorado, all of these different yep. states still have camps that are running where they steal kids in the middle of the fucking night kicking and screaming bags over their head grown-ass men stealing little girls little boys and that's legal because the parents yeah. sign them up for it that that should not be legal that is fucking trauma inducing and then they go out there and they don't feed them and they make them work again like we were talking about the other day modern day slavery and we're allowing it i thought slavery was supposed to be illegal but we're allowing it in all different forms Yep, in the prison industry, in the troubled teen industry, uh, just uh, and even in like the drug rehab uh, uh, treatment places that are like religious based and everything. So like down here where we're at, I know there was one down the road. And in fact, um, I talked to people that used to go to it and my cousin of mine went to it and everything like that. 
what they did was they did a, they did a form of trafficking. It was called benefits trafficking. They would go and get these guys, they, and they would get these guys from different states and everything like that. They cram them up in this little building. They'd have like maybe like those little kindergarten mats to sleep on and everything, yeah. like in those little thin blankets and a little small ass lumpy ass pillow to sleep on. And they would claim like I think ten to twenty grand a month through the insurance companies. And then basically these guys would just go work for whatever businesses that were they were connected to. And it'd be for a, a subpar wage. And it, it was just, uh, they weren't really helping these guys through addiction. They were just using them for, for cheap or free labor. Slavery. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's riddled in our country. It really is. All over the world is still riddled, but our country likes to say that we got rid of it. We abolished it. No, the fuck we didn't. It's still active in capitalism and the prison systems and these teen system and then I, I do want to bring up because we're touching on mental health I had my first mental health day on June 1st of this year I just found out that I was having an active miscarriage so that makes a lot of sense but I do want to talk about that because when I went in I was in tachycardia my heart rate was the last I had looked it was 170 so there was like 40 to 50 people in that waiting room and they took me back immediately because that's labeled as a heart attack and they have to clear yeah. you from cardiac I was in that some kind of waiting where they put like the drunk people, the high people, the crazy people. And I'm autistic and I, I hadn't found that out yet, but like they brought me a blanket, they turned off the lights and my ex-husband was in there with me. And then finally they, after about seven hours of clearing my, my heart and making sure that I wasn't an active heart attack, they put me in the psychiatric center where I was trying to go because I just wanted to figure out what was wrong and like why I was feeling this way. They put me in the addictions unit. And I've never struggled with addiction. I, I've always had an aversion to addiction because of watching people die. So, like, when I found out I was pregnant with my first five years ago, I was smoking a pack a day, and I immediately quit. I've always been very good at quitting things cold turkey because I feel like that's that's just a mindset you got to have, right? Um, yeah. But they put me in there. And I remember that I had a roommate and she was a bigger woman of color and she couldn't get around. And I was like, girl, what happened to you? And she said she had gotten a DUI or something and like they had did surgery on her hip, but they wouldn't tell her what kind of surgery they did. And they wouldn't get her a walker that fit her and they wouldn't help her to the bathroom. And that's when I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like they're just feeding these people drugs that are making them worse and not helping. Like they're, they're really not helping there. And then I was started advocating for all the people in there and they did not like me there. They did not like me because I was advocating, but why in a mental health facility are we treating people like animals? Do we think that's going to benefit their mental health? No. And then if you look at the majority of, of mental health facilities, people get stuck there because they're just medicating them every day and they don't get better. There's really nothing yeah. in there helping. You can find all these pamphlets and these coloring books and stuff about God and spiritual awakenings and they have music class and all different kinds of shit. But I'm just sitting in here crying because I've never been away from my babies before. And that's my main that's my, my, that's my whole life as my babies. And I was crying yeah. and I was like, can I call, can I call my babies? And they were like, no, um, you need to stop crying. And I was like, I'm not going to stop crying. I've never been away from my fucking kids. I'm a mother. And then finally, after about 30 hours, I got around a panel of doctors. This was MUSC in South Carolina where my kids got their evaluations. So like, I thought that them getting their autism diagnosis there, I'd be treated like a person, but I was treated like a fucking criminal and it's disgusting. So they sat me around this panel of doctors 
and I kind of gave them my whole spiel and they were like, well, we want to tell you what we think. And I was like, you think I'm manic? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, I'm not manic. I'm autistic. I'm ADHD. I have PTSD. I have a lot to say. And they were like, well, we're going to call your husband and make sure you usually act like this. And I was like, okay, call him. And they called him and he was like, yeah, that's how she acts. I'm coming to get her. And I just keep thinking back. Why'd y'all have to call my husband to see if that's how I usually act? That's so fucking patriarchal. That what? What? That makes no sense. Do you think they? Do you think they might have called as, just in case, as a safety issue? I don't know, but at the same time, like everyone in there was being treated like a criminal, an animal, just bad. There, I remember there was someone in there. I don't remember his name, but he was getting electric shock therapy, which what I just found out like a lot of my brain is dead from the PTSD and I was supposed to be signed up with a neurosurgeon to be put under and have electric shock therapy on those dead parts of my brain. But what it is for is like treatment resistant depression, treatment resistant anxiety, treatment resistant PTSD, ASD, ADHD, which means that medication doesn't help. You know, it's, it's too far gone. And he was in there getting it every week and he seemed okay, but everyone in there, they just had zombified, zombified, sad like the nurses were not nice and how do you expect people to be better if you're not giving them an environment to thrive and you're giving them an environment to stay stagnant or down it's like purgatory yeah i had i had friends that have been in prison and everything like that and the way they treat them with with mental health issues as well they put them on what they call the thorazine shuffle you know they just they just pump them up full of thorazine and they walk around like zombies all the time especially like violent inmates and everything I don't understand um, why people do that with the people with mental health issues. You're making it worse. What it is, it's it's not. They're not trying to make it better or anything like that. They're trying to control the situation, and that's, that's the same all. Thing that's about putting me on Adderall I mean, when I was six. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a good option or anything like that. I'm just saying that like that's what they're doing, and and unfortunately, it's not working for a lot of people, obviously, and it's it's what they do to control the situation. Because there are people out there. Now, look, I know there are people out there that there's a lot of people that are in the mental health system that are in the addiction uh, recovery side of things and everything that need a lot of intensive love and care yeah. and, and kindness and everything like that. And then there's some people who commit some of the most heinous fucking acts ever. And they, you know, and there's no way to to bring them back. You know, there, there's actual monsters in prison. There's actual monsters locked up in, in, uh, in mental there's health institutions as well. There's actual monsters walking around today that they won't do anything about. That's another issue. Oh, that's another issue too on its, on its own self as well because oh, I mean we, we got so many we got so many tangents to go into and I everything know. like that. We're oh, going to have to God. do another one. But, yeah. Uh, let, let's let's shift back toward, toward your life and everything like that. So, you know, you did mention that you had an ex-husband and everything like that. When did you get married and what was your marriage like? You know, how long Uh, you been married for and everything like that. So I did get married January 30th, 2021, but I've been, I was with him since March 27th, 2018. Um, But we had been talking for a couple months before that because I did let him know, you know, I have sexual trauma. I don't want to have sex for a while. I like to form an emotional connection. And he was the first he was the first man who ever did that. You know, everyone, no no one ever wanted to wait. I was just a sexual object to everyone. And I, I had mad respect for him for that because he waited until I was ready and no one else did that. No one. Um, and things we were both kind of raised in the same way. 
things did get a little bit out of hand once we got back around his family. Um, he did move away when he was 18. And then, I don't know, we had a really good life. It was a good run. I, we do have two kids now. I have one on the way. Literally the lights of my life. They both have autism. My little girl on the way, she's going to have autism. It's a genetic thing. And I feel like it's a gift from whoever, you know, God, whatever you want to believe in. These kids are my second chance, at, not my just my second chance of, at life, but I feel like I'm going to be able to see what I would have turned out with without trauma and just with love. Like, I get to give them love. Yeah. I get to give them the things that I didn't get, and that's going to heal something inside of me. It's like I feel so much better just giving to my kids what I didn't get. But we were together for almost – so it, it, it was five and a half years we were together. Um yeah. In the last month, everything just kind of fell apart, and we are getting a divorce. It's very sad, but I think that, you know, when things aren't working out like that, it's for the best. It's better to have two yeah. happy homes than an unhappy, toxic home, and I'll, I'll stand behind that. I never thought that I'd be a baby mama. I never thought that I would get a divorce. Like, I, when I was getting married, it was, that's my last wedding. I don't think I'll ever marry anyone ever again. Um I, I was in it for the for the long run, and um, it's just different on the other side, and that's fine. I'm going to live my life. My kids are going to be happy. I'm going to be happy. I'll always be a bomb-ass mom, and he'll always be a good dad, too, just so together, and I don't think that we were. I mean, we had our time together, yeah. and it was good, um, but some people just aren't meant to – it's not meant to be forever. You know, like I, I look at love as a path, you know, and – when you go on that path, sometimes you find people to, to walk alongside you on that path. And then sometimes paths, they, they go just separate ways. And that's how it is for some people. I mean, you know, like our religion, you know, the, the conditioning, the social and religious conditioning we have, especially down here in the South, you know, you try to, uh, you, you know, they make it an admirable, admirable trait to stay in a relationship that's not working, that's yeah. broken. That's and, and like, you know, anyone, what, especially if there's kids involved. Yeah. And the thing of it is, too, is like you, you like it's the admirable trait about or the admirable thing that people want to want to want to brag about and everything like that is that, well, you know, you, you try to make it work. You try to. Well, you can try all you want. Sometimes it just doesn't work, you know, and I you have to marriage counseling. I did the therapy. I did everything. And I do feel like, um, you know, my healing journey is kind of where it started to fall apart. Me finding out that I was autistic, me finding out about the PTSD and finding out about the like being brain dead on a lot of parts of my brain from trauma. Like I am on a different path now and it's a path of healing. And I always told my therapist that my goal in life is peace. I've never had peace before. And I just don't feel like, um, we were on a path to peace together. And, um, it wasn't my decision to like, and definitely get a divorce, but I feel like right now it's pretty, it's pretty amicable. It's pretty, uh, we, we, we both, we both need it. Um, and I yeah. do hope the best for him. I, I love him forever. You know, that's the, that's still my husband and not for long, but that's still the father of my kids. And I wish him the best. I love him. He is a good person. Um, everyone has bad traits. I do too. And we're going to find ourselves in different ways. Like he has his own path. I have my own path. Well, I'll, I'm yeah. figure it out. Our kids are going to live a good, happy life. And this is what's best for everybody. So there was something you, were, you mentioned a couple of times uh, that you, you said that you were brain dead in certain parts of your brain. Do you know what parts those are? And like, how, so, like, cause I, I, I don't understand that part. So, I, I'm just curious. Um, what I, so I do want to shout out 
Dr. Robert McCarthy in Myrtle Beach. He did an electroencephalogram, which is something kind of like an EKG where they hook up all of the different things to your brain and they measure the wavelengths or whatever. So when you have PTSD for a long period of time, it causes trauma to the brain. And then think about all of the, the seizures that I had of me holding my breath. That also is limiting oxygen in the brain and killing parts of your parts of your brain. So the majority of the brain dead parts of my brain is going to be the back um, towards the bottom. I think it's the occipital. Let me look it up. Occipital lobe. Yeah, so my occipital lobe is where the majority of the brain dead parts are. And... I just found out, so, like, when I met my ex-husband, I was 22 or 23, and he was 27, but yeah, if we're going off of, like, where my brain is, just from the trauma, like, I was probably, like, 16, 17, brain-wise, and, like, right now, I'm, my brain's not 27 years old, just because of the trauma and everything that happened, it's, I'm probably more 22, 23, or maybe even younger than that, and just developmentally. I got you. Okay. So, like, the, the acid, the acid, uh, I can't pronounce Occipital. it. Occipital. lobe. Uh, that, that is what gives you your, like, your development for your, um, for your, for your mind and everything like that. I don't remember the way that he explained it, but every different lobe of the brain has, um, has something else. So, like, if you look into autism, like, you're going to have, extra tissue on your frontal cortex or different parts of your brain, which is your decision making and all of that. And that's why kids with autism have, have behavior issues. But each, yeah. each lobe of your brain is going to have a different function. You know, like right. you have, let's see the occipital lobe function. And I love learning about this because I want to know everything about what's going on inside my brain. So, yeah. oh my gosh, this makes a lot of sense. The occipital lobe is a visual processing area of the brain. It, it is associated with visuospatial processing, distance and depth per- perception, color determination, object and face recognition, and memory formation. So a lot of my memories were blocked, and I couldn't remember anything until I got that neurofeedback from Dr. Robert McCarthy. And then I started to, it was like kind of like hypnotherapy. Like I started remembering stuff that was very hard for me to process. Like, I knew that I had been sexually assaulted. I could feel it in my bones. I had dreams about it growing up. I just, everyone in my life was telling me that I was crazy, so I was like, maybe it's not real. And then once I got this neurofeedback, I could remember faces, smells, scents, the room, ceiling fans, the dust, everything. And it all came in at once, and it was like a flood. And that's when I kind of lost my mind, because that's a lot of information to process. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of trauma that unlocks and basically makes your mind shut down, um, because it's, it's just an overload. And it's an overload yeah, of, it of a lot of pain. Overload. And then finding out that I was autistic—that's also information overload because I was failed by so many people, the school system, the police, my mom. Like so many people failed me, and now I know I was a special needs child. Like that—that that hurts more than it did originally. Yeah. The uh, what was I going to ask you too? Sorry, I'm drawing a blank right now and everything like that. No, it's fine. But, uh, I, yeah, I'm trying to think. Hold on, I'm recollecting. Don't worry. When, 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 when I when it. I put, I believe yeah. in you, friend. I believe in you. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? So, with your with with 
that part of your brain, was there any other parts of your brain that was also damaged as well? Or was that the, or was that the main uh, so if diagnosis? We think about, if we think about like um, me cheering in college and everything like that as well, I have had a lot of concussions. So uh, that is probably not very good. Um, but yeah, hold on. Ashley, go look at Sorry, my sister is watching my kids. She needed something. Um, so I think I, I definitely had too many concussions. Uh, I, w- I do remember being told by a doctor like 10, over 10 years ago that like that should have been my last concussion. I definitely got one last year when I fell down a, mar- a mountain at the Spartan race in Montana. I definitely had a few before that um, from abusive relationships. Um, my mom, um, when I was little, uh, like a story that they like to tell which I don't know how nobody thought I was autistic from these stories, but apparently I was trying to play mermaids and I dove into some cement stairs and my head had to be stapled together. Uh, That's definitely, that was definitely a concussion for sure. So it depends. I I do think it depends on like where the trauma or the, say you get a hit to the head with a baseball bat. I did hit my head with a baseball bat one time trying to get one of my, uh, bulls and horse trailer and like swung it too hard hit myself in the back of the head and like passed out in the mud so holy shit <laughs> good gosh I, I mean there's a lot of trauma yeah. to my head that I, I should probably take it easy from now on yeah yeah definitely don't be trying to wrangle bulls into a trailer that's for damn sure Listen, i used to wrestle alligators too i did i had a good life you gotta damn, have girl so you have stories yeah I a lot of stories for my kids yeah, I um. Well, you're braver than I am because uh, I I am not gonna fucking wrestle a apex predator dinosaur at all. Fuck that. I don't listen, care. I can teach yeah. you how to do it. I'll I'll take. Listen, you and your wife gotta come out. I'll teach you how to do it. We gotta wait until after I have this baby though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, yeah, definitely. Don't teach us while you're pregnant and everything like that. No, they definitely do. I'm gonna uh, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know. Because you, you're making me think of like Steve Irwin, right? Because he, because uh, he used to I wrestle alligators and everything. So yeah, he he was definitely a, uh he was definitely an angel on this earth. Uh, but it's like your mind, like think about him and everything, and how he got taken out by a fucking stingray and everything. Like of all the things, and you to know take what? Him out. I was reading that like it, you know, if he's up in heaven, wherever it is, he's probably like, y'all don't be mad at the stingray. He was just living his life. Yeah, I actually shared a story about him. Uh, there was a there was an old. Uh, like documentary clip where he, or a news clip or whatever video about him where he was talking about his dog and uh, he went to go. Uh, I think they were trying to, trying to do some work with like wild boars or something like that out, out there in the brush in Australia. And he had this dog that he loved. He just absolutely adored this little dog. And Stop I think it was right before it. he got married. Well, they, the dog would go, it, it was a, it was a, like the dog's job was to go and wrestle down one of the uh, boars and everything like that. Right. Like they would grab him by the ears and everything like that and, and, and hold him down. And what happened was he had a friend of his that had a, uh, that had a gun and everything like that. The guy got scared, ended up shooting, trying to shoot the, the boar and shot and shot his dog. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he, he was so distraught. Like he didn't want to go back home because he was so depressed by that because he didn't want to leave the work, but he couldn't work either. And he, cause I mean, he was just crying over his dog and everything like that. And then finally his dad came up there and was like, Hey, let's finish this job then. And let's go home. Okay. 
and you know comforted him and, and and everything like that and his grief because he loved that dog so much i mean he was crying in the interview and everything like that i got i'll send you the links to the video i shared with that I it was cry I think, because i'm still missing my dog i had to put my dog yeah. down a couple years ago i was supposed to get another one but i it just it didn't work out i'm not the buying type of girl you know i, I right. the adopt don't shop and I ended up getting in a situation where someone in my husband's family had convinced me to buy a dog from this breeder, and I ended up pulling the trigger on that, and then yesterday I unpulled that trigger because I do not want to buy animals when there are animals who need homes. Same thing with babies. It's like we were talking about the adoption agency. Like, why are you selling babies when there are babies who need homes? They're getting in foster care right now. We need – come on. Don't talk about save the children, but y'all selling children. I'll tell you, there's a lot of there's a lot of complexities in the adoption uh, community and everything like that with the, with with the adoptee community as well with that. And um, there are a lot of uh, kids that are in foster care that should not be in foster care. They get taken out of these homes based on anonymous random tips, uh, yep. CPS workers trying to take kids out of the house so they can get more. So their their organization can get more funding from the state and everything like that. Like there's a lot of shit behind all that as well. I, I'll tell you. I'd interviewed a lady who ended up killing a pedophile. Like she, she stabbed a pedophile in the heart and everything like that, went to prison for it. Her name was Samantha Haynes, but she was also an adoptee as well. And we talked about the adoption, uh, you know, the, 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 the adoption industry as well. And it's she traumatic. is very much about, it's, traumatic for it's, everybody. It is. it's, it's a lot more complex than, I mean, there's different ways to, to help children. Like it needs to be child centered, right. And not profit driven not profit driven. That's the issue. This country is profit driven and that's the issue. We don't want to help yeah. people. We want money. And whenever I go into all these different rabbit holes and everything like that, it always comes back to making money. Like there's yeah. all like the trouble teen industry, like CPS, like uh, the adoption system. Uh, I mean, uh, the prison system, all this all g- comes into play with either court fines, court fees, uh, some type of profit to be made somewhere, some type of paperwork that requires you to you to pay for this special license or permit or some type of deal. And that's why I do not like it. I do not like capitalism. I do not. I was more. So, like, I try to tell people, too, about capitalism is that what the capitalism that we're in today is more of a crony capitalism than yep. it is the actual true form of capitalism. Right. Because capitalism in itself without greed and without, without without greed and psychos driving it is actually a good thing. I do believe in that. But However, we're on when the you have dark psychos, side of it. We're on the dark side. Yeah. That, that I don't disagree with. And a lot of people on, on both political spectrums will agree with that as well. Like we are we are definitely in a dark time of capitalism. Um, you know, cause that whole, that old school way of like, you know, uh, what was it, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and all that's that. Them not, days are over not, with for a lot not, of our generation. It's just not going to happen these days. Like the way that because they have us set up in the housing market and minimum wage and everything, like we don't have it like they had it back then. And they think no. that we do. And they're like, well, just go buy a house, go get a job. Okay. Y'all, y'all had that opportunity. Y'all have that option. Not everyone is privileged like that. And people like to talk about privilege a lot but it it, there's a lot the majority of the people in this country don't have privilege and do not come from privilege and you can make it look like however you want on Facebook but a lot of us do not have the upper hand and 
anyone from a family with money or any of those one percenters like we were talking about jeff bezos the other day like anyone in that family they have things that like people like me and you people on the streets and and south and south we will never see that ever just because we were born in the wrong place to the wrong people you know the thing with jeff bezos that i remember and this is what this is what really pisses me off about him he started out a small time, right? He start he started out in his fucking garage, like selling books online in his garage. Everybody thought he was crazy, he was stupid, and everything like that. He built up his empire. Now that he's got that empire, he forgot those roots that he came from because mm-hmm. there's articles of him. Like he, one thing there's I don't like about him, him is to, that uh, from the beginning talking about directly against what he's doing right now. Yeah. And he was because he because he was a little guy too. He started out as a little guy. Now he, I mean, it, it's impressive that he built his empire that he built. At the same time, though, now that he isn't on top of it and everything like that, like he's made statements to where, um, like his his Amazon warehouses and everything like that. He doesn't want his employees to be there for more than three years because he feels like they'll just get lazy and complacent. So he makes okay, the conditions well, what about hard. Those, what about those conditions that people are literally passing out, dying, can't go to the bathroom, can't drink, can't eat? That's that's part of those conditions that that's yeah. yeah that's that's part of those conditions that he's he makes it where it's miserable there so that they, they'll end up quitting in a couple of years and everything like that like uh, really i don't even know how that how anybody makes it there in a couple of years i mean shit like you there for a couple months and you're fucking I burnt out i had a friend who worked for amazon for exactly one singular day <laughs> and she was a friend of me and my ex-husband and i remember like she called us to let us know she was she drove she drove one of the trucks and like she said that it was so fucking disgusting and like corporate like you had to hustle 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 from like 6 a.m to 9 p.m and if you didn't make your time or whatever you got like a point or whatever and she like couldn't make her time that day i don't know what had happened but like there's just circumstances where you can't be delivering 10 packages in two minutes that's just not something that could happen and then she said she went and parked that truck early and never went back and i was like you fucking go girl because fuck jeff bezos what the fuck (laughs) yeah it's um it's what we allow, you know, and we have allowed it to grow and, and get to this point and everything because, you know, the way the way they the way they will will take us over and everything like that with their systems and how they put things in place. It's not by drastic measures at one time. It's little measures inch by inch at a time. And it's just a small little pinch of uncomfortability where eventually that pinch just becomes these little prick holes, you know, or, or, or like or like like a needle. Right. Like you like you prick somebody with a needle. I'm back. All right. All right. Let me finish up my point that I was making before this uh, app closed it down because it was, we were just on fire and everything. Um, it's like they, they don't do a massive takeover right away. They do these little pinpricks where they're slightly uncomfortable, but it's not to the point to where you're going to swat it away. And then they, they, they find another point on the body and they just another pinprick, another pinprick. And then eventually you're, you're, having what they call like death by a thousand needles you know it's just like it, it's over it's just an over consuming feeling once you realize it's too late and that's what's going on with our generation like our generation was told to uh to go to college to you know make good grades in school and everything like that so you can get a good paying job and get a house and everything like that like their generation did before them and it worked for them but because of how our economy and how all of the things have just spiraled because in the name of the almighty dollar and making a profit uh we're in the situation we're in now in this day and age because of that because they kicked that can down the road instead of making it better and making it to where we can improve society and everything like that yeah 
Yeah. That's what's happened with us. And that's why, like, this form of capitalism scares the shit out of me because it's just the psychopaths are basically running the show. And I feel like it, that's it, with it, a bunch it, of different things. Once they get into power, they get out their fucking minds. They lose it. Once you get yeah. any taste of power with, with the judicial system, court system, politicians, police, it's like it, it sours them. It poisons their minds. Money is fucking addictive, all right? I'm going to tell you flat out, as somebody who had a taste of it, it's like heroin. I mean, it is it is addicting as fuck. And you chase after that fucking dollar once, you, once you've made, like, when you've made, like, three grand in a fucking week and everything That's like that. That's another issue with our generation, too, is that they feel like their value is how much money they make. Like, that was an issue that my ex-husband had is, like, he felt like his value was only the paycheck he was bringing home. And that's just not true. No one's value is is based on one sole thing, right? You have a lot of value in this world. Your opinion is valuable. The way that you see the world is valuable. What you can give the world is valuable. What you can take from the world is valuable. It's not just money. It's not just being beautiful. It's not just being about sex. It's not just being someone's wife. It's not just being someone's girlfriend. It's not just being a mom. Everyone is so much more than these things that they close themselves off to be. Well, Amber, I'll tell you that, um, unfortunately for a lot of us men, that's where we felt our value was at because that's what we're conditioned to I know, but that's because what y'all are all conditioned to think, and that's just not the way life is, and that's that's a big issue with this generation is that the generation before us said, you know, the man, the men are the breadwinners. Men are meant to do that. That is not y'all's only value, and if y'all can't see it, you know, that that's nothing. That's another thing that I felt like it was my responsibility to show him that like he was more valuable than his check. That's not my yeah. responsibility to fix a man. It's not. It's not my responsibility to fix the way you look at things and the way you were raised, the way I was raised, the, the way the majority of us are, were raised by these fucking boomers and just piece of shit people that didn't have the right. I mean, they had they had commercials on the TV telling you to beat your kids. Y'all think that's the generation that should be teaching us? No. Yeah. They um, it while it's not our responsibility at the same time, it it does. It, it's endearing and it's inspiring when people show that they care, though, right? Like, there are people out there that are trying to fight a lot of these stigmas and everything like that as well from both I, different I, I, I know, opposite genders. I just made that my life's mission for the past five years, and it didn't work. And now I just – it's time to focus on myself, make sure I'm good, make sure I have peace, make sure my babies have a good, stable, amazing mother – and my whole yeah. mantra is that my kids will never have a life they have to heal from. And maybe these past few months might have been hard, but they're young and I'm going to show them good. You know, their life is going to be good. They're never going to have, they're not, they're not going to have what I had to have. You know, they're not going to have to yeah. be in therapy when they're 12 years old for shit that I had to go through. My kids are going to live a good life and I'm going to make sure of that. And I think that's wrong. What's wrong with the generation before us is they felt like, they didn't have to protect their kids. And now they're the ones screaming, save the children and doing the wrong shit. Y'all not doing the right stuff. So that's part one of this interview. Next Friday, part two will drop as well. So for anybody that's friends of Amber and that came in to listen to the story and everything like that, please like, please share, you know, do all the, the podcaster, influencer, YouTube creator, whatever the things they tell you to do, you know, like, like share and subscribe. But it does help spreading the word out there and everything. If you've been a long-time listener and everything like that, I encourage you, if you haven't done it already, please leave a review. I know there's more than 22 of you listening to this podcast. So, And yes, I know there's currently right now 22 reviews on uh, this platform alone. So, if And whatever other platform you listen to. If it's not Spotify, 
then any platform you're on, please leave a review. You know, I don't care if it's one or five stars. It doesn't matter to me. Leave an honest review. That's all I ask of you. I appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me in any kind of way, shape, or form, if you let's say you're a survivor and you have a story you want to share, um, you can contact me on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. That's usually going to be the three best places to get in touch with me. Granted, TikTok will probably be the fastest because that's the one I do check the most often. Uh, Facebook, it's kind of hit and miss with messages. So if you leave comments and say, hey, I need to talk to you, it's a better chance of me catching that than if, than if you try to leave. Because for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know what it is on TikTok, I mean on Facebook, but I just don't really check messages because they don't pop up and they don't notify me as much. That's why I say that, y'all. And Instagram, I check that every about once every couple of days. So, like I say, TikTok's the fastest. I'll leave it. I'll leave the link to my TikTok in the description. And also, if uh, if any of y'all feel compelled or if y'all want to, yeah, you don't have to. It's not necessary. But it'd be much much appreciated if you want to support the podcast. There's an option to do that as well. There's a listener support option where you can. You know, you can give one to five to ten dollars a month if you want to to the podcast, and it's going to help with marketing. It's going to help with paying for advertisements, and also hopefully, when I get enough money going on for it, help pay for my co-host Sabrina Young. So that's all you know I had to say for today. If uh, I had to leave any advice for you, just walk in love, understand people before you judge them. That's all I can tell anybody. Just listen to people. When you listen, you'll learn. And you can just have compassion for people, you know. Sometimes your way ain't always the best way. You know. My way ain't, my way definitely ain't, isn't for everybody. Just like your way might not be for everybody, right? But just love people regardless. And you'll see a difference in how people treat you. You'll see a difference in how they interact with you. And that's all I can give. That's the best advice I can give anybody at any time in my life. Just walk in love. Don't be scared to, to fight for who you love, but just walk in love. Be that warrior in the garden. That's the best thing I could tell y'all today. I know I just rambled on a few minutes here. But anyway, I love y'all. Be safe. Please share this out. Hit that share, you know, share it on your platform, share it on your social media. You know, the one place I'm not really big on and I don't have any presence on whatsoever is that uh, Twitter or X or whatever they call it now. I don't have nothing on there. Maybe y'all have some bigger audiences out there than I do. If you got more than th two or three followers on, on X, then you, yeah, you know, you're bigger than me. All right. Go and share it on there. Go share it on Facebook. You know, go share it, especially if you're from Louisiana. Go share it on Facebook, man. Let's let, let's make this Louisiana podcast strong, you know. And uh, if you ever want to hear who inspired me to do this podcast, uh, go check out Real Life, Real Crime with Woody Overton. His podcast is what inspired me to go in this direction. Uh, hearing his cop stories and the cases he worked, it's what set me on this path. And also the death of Ezekiel Harry, two-year-old little boy. If you go listen to the to episode two of my podcast. That's who I talk about. He was the spark that set all this off too. And those are my two focal points. But yeah. Like I said, y'all. Like, share, 
do all that cool stuff. Tell your mama, tell your daddy, tell your sister, tell the plumber down the street. Tell everybody about this podcast. And you know a survivor in your life, tell them to come talk to me. They want If they want to share their story, if they're ready to share their story. I don't want to push nobody into something they don't want to do. But if they want to share their story to the world, they feel like they just need a place to share it, I'm here to listen. See if we can make it work, right? Well, look, y'all. Remember, protect all children, even if they're not your own. And the bowmen see. And the bowmen never forget. Much love. We must carry on. <laughs>